Again, I want to welcome you to the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room. Um, today is study number 52 in our series that we've entitled Angels and Giants, Fact or Fiction. And it is the absolute last day of July, if you can believe that or not, uh, 2022, 731-22. We've um, gone through most of the year here, and I look back and I can't really remember where it went. So... <laughs> That's a little, that's always a little disconcerting to me when, when I figure out, you know, how far into the year we really are. And, uh, I can't remember a whole lot of what happened. That, that tells you life is going by way too fast. Uh, our, our purpose in this entire study series, if you're new with us, is to investigate the angels and giants that are mentioned in scripture. Uh, and by doing that, try to alleviate some of the confusion that some scripture verses seem to generate. And I think today we're probably going to be going through several of those scripture verses that that tend to generate a little um, confusion with folks regarding angels. And we're, we're approaching this from a completely dispensational viewpoint. The scriptures that we've been going through up to this point are scriptures that were written with the Acts period with the kingdom and the restoration of the kingdom in view. It's the continuation of that message. Uh, the repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that the Lord um, uttered in Matthew 4 when he, when he came in the flesh uh, to his own people Israel. And that continued by them that heard him into the book of Acts, into that, that period where lots or most of the, uh, most of the epistles in, the, in the, what we call the New Testament were written. So that's where we're doing our focus up to this point. We, we haven't gotten into the, the last seven books of Paul, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Titus, Philemon, and First and Second Timothy in this study yet. Uh, those books deal with us, and they are to us today. All Scripture is for us, but those last seven books are certainly to us uh, because they contain the, the message of the mystery, the body of Christ that the Apostle Paul had revealed to him uh, by the Lord, and he revealed it to us. So that's kind of where we are in this study series today uh, and what we're going to do. So last week we looked at the, the final two mentions of angels in the book of Hebrews, and it's not hard to guess who the book of Hebrews is to. It's right there in the title. So we looked at the last two mentions of angels in Hebrews and also one mentioned in the book of um, of First Peter in, in chapter one. So for today's study, I want to keep digging for for angel truth uh, in the Acts period by looking at, at some passages in First Peter and Second Peter. Now, Peter had a lot to say about angels. I don't know if he really ever thought about that or realized that or not, but Peter had a lot to say about angels and their interactions with people and um, a lot of a lot of just factual things that go along with that angelic realm that that was created by God the Father. So turn with me, if you would, this morning in looking at this. Turn with me to First Peter chapter three. First Peter three, <clears throat> and I want to read um, verses thirteen through twenty-two, and I want you to note the angels mentioned in verse twenty-two. And also, more importantly, maybe, the spirits in prison. 
mentioned in uh, verse 19. Now, a lot of times when you do a study on angels, if you just look up the, the word angels, you miss these verses, like, because the angels are not called out as angels in, in verse 19, but you know that that's what's going on with these spirits in prison. So we'll cover that a little bit today. I think that's probably been one of these verses that have thrown some folks maybe for a little bit of a loop when you're, when you're looking at it and studying about it. So, my prayer is that, you know, what we're going to talk about this morning, bring a little clarity and maybe a different way of thinking about it so that when you do your studies, you can say, okay, let, let me look at it in this light. And we'll see if the Spirit reveals it to you like it did to me. Um, because if you're going to learn anything about this, this book, the Bible, it's going to come to you through revelation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the true teacher. Ronnie McCurry sitting here running his mouth is not the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. And if you are going to to learn and understand and know anything of the Scripture, it's going to come by the Holy Spirit, I promise you. So First Peter chapter 3, let's read 13 through 22. And, and Peter admittedly kind of sets the stage in the first few verses of chapter 3 because of what's going on in the world around him at that at the time that Peter wrote the the book and remember we we read the address on the envelope so to say in 1 Peter last week where if you go back to 1 Peter 1:1 1, 1, uh it says Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to these strangers uh scattered throughout Pontus Galatia Cappadocia Asia Bithynia elect so these strangers are the elect Israelites that have been carried off down through the ages into the various captivities in all these places that he just mentioned. Because it's to, even during the book of Acts, the message of Christ was to the Jew first. Uh, it was to the Jew exclusively until Acts 10, where Peter got the vision of the sheep, and God said, Peter, what I've said is clean is clean. And the Gentiles began to be grafted into the hope of Israel. And so after that, it was not to the Jew exclusively, but it was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile as grafted in limbs that were being added to the true root of Israel. Paul explains this pretty thoroughly and pretty uh, exclusively in Romans chapters 9 through 11, if you want to go and read about that grafting in process that was going on all through the book of Acts, from Acts 10 uh, down to the end of the book of Acts. And so after that, it's uh, neither Jew nor Gentile, we're all one new man in Christ. So those are the boundaries that I'm putting on um, my, my rightly divided approach to this, and, and hopefully... Uh, hopefully that makes sense to you. So back to First Peter three, let's pick up. So we know this is to the the Israelites of the day, and he says in verse thirteen, we'll start there. He says, "And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good?" Now he's already he's already warned them about rendering evil for evil and railing for railing and all that in verse. Verse 9, he's warning them about those that will come in preaching contrary or bringing contrary ideas to what he's already told them. So he says in 13, and who is he that will harm you 
if you be followers of that which is good. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happier ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. These, these fractions of verses here in 14 or 15 are quoted from Isaiah chapter 8 verses 12 and 13. And then he says in 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He's telling these Acts period Israelites that when men approach you and they take you to task on what you believe, you have your answer ready for them. You be ready to report to them of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's how you, that's how Peter's instructing them to approach the unbelievers there. Verse 16, he says, having a good conscience. Well, how can you have a good conscience if you haven't done the deeds worthy of a good conscience? So he says, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. He said, for it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. He said, well, if it's within the will of God, he said, it's better to suffer for doing that which is good than it is to suffer for doing that which is evil. Man, I, I've known a lot of folks down through the years that have suffered for the, the, the stupid or the evil things that they did. And I've known some, some people that probably have suffered for the good things that they did. That's pretty pretty true statement when you think about it. And this, let's look at these verses now. These verses from 18 through 22 get pretty involved. So, and but it's important to understand this. And so, stick with me as we go through it because Peter's been building to a point here that he wants to make, and he's going to make it within this within these verses. He's going to make a comparison. So look look at what he says in 18. First he sets the stage, I believe, with 17, <clears throat> where he said it's better, uh, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Look, for Christ also, verse 18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Christ was the just the sinners of the world, past, present, and future, were the unjust. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ being put to death in the flesh brought us to God, and he was raised from the dead and declared to be the Son of God with power, as, as Paul says in Romans. And then, according to that being quickened by the Spirit. You see that? Quickened is being made alive, is resurrected. Remember, Christ himself was dead. Three days and three nights, as he used that figure of Jonah, he said, just as Jonah was in the heart of the heart of the whale, or the fish, three days and three nights in, in, in death, so will I be in death. Christ was dead. Because if Christ didn't die, then our sins are not paid for. 
You see what I'm saying? Because a lot of people will say, well, he didn't really die, that he just changed and he went to heaven and did this. And some even say there are, you know, there are denominations that believe that during the three days that Christ was dead, that he was doing exactly what we're about to, to read about. And that's not the case. Christ was dead. And you can quote Ronnie McCurry on that. Because I am thankful that he succumbed himself to the death, even the death of the cross. Because if he had not, then our sins are not paid. Paul makes that perfectly clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to the Corinthians. He had to die to pay our sins. I don't know how much plainer I need to say that. But Christ died and was dead three days and three nights. Peter confirms that. He says, being put to death in the flesh there in verse 18. See that? But quickened by the Holy Spirit of God. He was resurrected. And he was seen, Paul says. And Paul gives you a list in 1 Corinthians 15 of all those that saw Christ after his resurrection. He said at one point there was over 500 at once that saw him resurrected. And then Paul said, last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due season. So Christ was dead and resurrected. He wasn't crucified floating around as some disembodied spirit. Didn't work that way. He was put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the spirit. By which, now listen to this. Here's the kicker in verse 19. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. That's your English King James Version rendition of what happened. Now let me go back and put that back closer in the Koine Greek. Let me tell you what it says in the Koine Greek a little bit closer. It should be rendered in which having gone, he even heralded unto angels within prison. His resurrection, when, when, when Christ died, Satan was never closer to winning than he was for those three days and three nights. Because whether you realize it or not, one third of the Godhead was dead. One third of the Godhead was dead. Christ was dead and put in that tomb. And after his resurrection, the, the grand news of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that word preached there in the Greek is heralded. It's a herald. It's an announcement that goes out to everywhere. It was a herald. And even the spirits in prison, interesting, knew that they had lost. Well, who are these spirits in prison? The heralding news of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who now has the ability to redeem us from death, the same death that he suffered. He now had the ability to redeem us through His perfect payment 
sacrifice of his own blood in the holy place in the heavens to the Father was a was a sacrifice of a sweet smelling savor to the Father. If you don't believe that, read Hebrews eight. I can't I can't see it any better than Paul does in Hebrews chapter eight. But here we find out that through that resurrection, when he was quickened by the Spirit, as it says in 18, by which, or by that Spirit, also went the heralding under the spirits in prison. Christ didn't go to these spirits in prison. The news was carried to these spirits in prison. Well, I got a couple of questions when I read that. Who are these spirits, number one? And number two, where is this prison? Have you ever wondered that? Who are the spirits and where is the prison? Well, he tells us a little bit. Peter does in verse 20. Let's read on. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient. Ah. So now I know a little bit more about these spirits. There was a time when they were disobedient. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing. The God watched what was happening in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing. Uh, and inside the ark it says wherein a few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So I find out that these spirits were disobedient in the days of Noah prior to the flood. Right? That makes sense. Should make sense to you so far. Well, what was going on to these spirits that were being disobedient? Well, we've already been through that in Genesis chapter 6. Several studies ago, probably studies 1 through 10 or 1 through 12, uh, back in this 52 study series so far. If you want to go back and listen to the recordings and check those out. The sons of God came unto the daughters of men and saw that they were fair, and they took wives as they chose. And this unholy union between the spirits that sinned, these unholy angels that sinned, and the daughters of men produced the giants. Yes, it's the same giants that produced Goliath. It's the same giants, the Anakims, that produced um, one of the others. I can't remember the, the giant's name. But his bed was like 18 feet long. We're talking a big old boy, Anak, I think might have been his name. Huge, unholy hybrids between angels. The angels had the ability to take on flesh. It wasn't the same exact perfect human chromosome set up by the DNA, but it was close enough to where they could reproduce. But in reproducing, they were unusually huge beings. And they had, uh, as one account says, some of them had six fingers and six toes. They were genetically different than the mating of a human man and a human woman, these angels that took on this strange flesh, as we're going to see, and mated with human women, 
And the women, incidentally, probably didn't have a whole lot of say in the thing. I'll bet they didn't have a whole lot to do with it at all, to be honest with you. They probably were powerless against them. It says they took whoever they chose in Genesis 6. So these were disobedient. Why? Because God, when he created his creation, set the boundaries by which creatures should exist. These angels were created angels, sons of God by the Father, and they were never meant to change their physiology to be able to do what they did. God, that is an unintended use of that which God had created. And guess what? God not too happy about that. He's just not happy about it. So what did he do? There is a prison created for these beings. There was a prison maybe already in existence for these beings. Where this prison is located, I do not know. But I've got a pretty good idea and I've got some theories of my own, which I may or may not share with you when we get there. So let's read 20 and 19 and 20 again. It says, By which also he went and heralded unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when... Once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. If you ever wonder how many rode the boat, it's Noah, his wife, Noah's three sons, and their three wives. Those are the eight people. He says the like figure. Ah, so this is a comparison to something else. Here in verse 21, 1 Peter 3. The like figure, he says, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven. Christ is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. You see that? And here's our reference to angels here in verse 22. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So Christ did all these things. His resurrection was heralded to these spirits in prison. He didn't try to save them. He wasn't trying to get them out of hell, as you hear from tradition. They merely knew that he had been resurrected and that he had won the battle and the war. The war is essentially over. Satan's Satan's uh, fate is sealed by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because he will at some day in the future, according to 1 Corinthians 15, he will reconcile all things unto himself. All things will be put under his feet except the Father. All things. Every one of them. And Satan, according to the Scripture, will be taken out. All things that offend will be destroyed at the proper time, according to God's plan and God's purpose. And yes, he has a plan for keeping Satan alive up until this point. Because God's perfect plan and purpose requires balance. And if you look at Appendix 198 in the back of the Companion Bible, you will see that balance play out before your eyes. Just say it. Something to look at. 
the number eight there dealing with Noah. Uh, and, and the number eight is new beginning. Yep. After the perfect seven, when it starts over again, that's new beginning. So as being, uh, as the water took care of all others. Uh, Starting all over. This was the eight that was going to yep. start the world over. Eight, eight is the number of new beginning. A lot of times associated with resurrection because that's a new beginning. Yeah. That's a good point. Very good point. So, in relation to this, and there was a few notes in there I saw that Tony posted that go along with it. Turn with me to the book of Jude. Now, I believe Jude uh, wrote his epistles shortly after Peter wrote his epistles. Because Jude actually, I believe, sort of quotes Peter uh, in what he says. And not only that, but he talks a lot about the same subject matter that Peter did with these these ones during this Acts period that would come in and preach these things against what Peter was preaching. And Jude and Peter both had some things to say about these evil ones who would who would question their gospel. So turn with me to the, the epistle of Jude. It's one chapter right before Revelation. And I want to read uh, verses 1 through 11 of Jude. Very eye-opening things that go along with what Peter just said about these spirits in prison. And I'm already about out of time. Holy cow. Jude 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, he says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Here's what his message is. He gets right into it. He said, when I wrote before, he said, I thought it was needful to write unto you and exhort you or encourage you to contend or to, to strive for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And then here's the reason. Here's the problem. He said, I thought it was good to do that because there are certain men crept in unawares. Ah. Same thing Peter's talking about. For there are certain men, verse 4, the epistle of Jude, certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, he says, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to have men that will creep in unaware, maybe even under the guise of believing, that will turn the message into lasciviousness, the grace of God. He'll turn it into lasciviousness and deny Christ. That's the message. So he says, knowing that that's going to happen, I want you to remember something, Jude says. I will put, I will therefore, verse 5, he says, put you in remembrance. I will ask you to remember something, Jude says. Though you once knew this, how that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt. 
afterward destroyed them that believed not. Remember when God delivered the entire nation of Israel out of bondage, and they wandered and murmured in the wilderness. What did Dad say a few minutes ago? When you get to the book of Numbers, you'll find that at one point, the earth just opened up and swallowed a bunch of the murmurers. Thousands of them. And they were gone. Killed them. They've already been judged. Well, guess what? That's what Jude is reminding them of. He is. He said, I'll, I'll have you remember this, though you once knew this, he says. How that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Here's the comparison. Don't miss this. And the angels. I'm going to read it to you in the King James English, and then I'm going to retranslate it for you closer to the Koine Greek. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. What? They're held in chains until the judgment of the great day? Yes, they are. Let me put that back for you a little closer to the Corne Greek. I think it should read like this. And the angels, which kept not their own principalities, but left their own dwelling or their own bodies, he hath kept in hidden fetters under gloom unto the judgment of the great day. Hidden fetters. Let me read it again. And the angels which kept not their own principality, but left their own dwelling, he hath kept in hidden fetters under gloom under the judgment of the great day. These, I believe, and you can agree or disagree, are the angels of Genesis 6, the same ones that Peter was referring to early, earlier when we read it. They left their own bodies and did things that God did not approve of with strange flesh. Angels were never meant to mate with human women. God never set it up that way. And get, But guess what evil angels' job is? <laughs> They're propelled by their leader, Lucifer. And whatever God has set up, that's what they work against. Does that sound familiar in 2022? It does to me. Dad and I were talking about this earlier when he got here. The LGBTQ thing. Strange flesh, men after men, women after women. Not the way God intended it. And listen, even in this dispensation, God has not changed his mind. Whether the, whether the government of the United States has, whether the Democrats have, whether the Republicans have, whether they chose to accept it or not is irrelevant. God has not. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he still hates it. He still hates those. He still hates that stuff. As should we. you got to hate the sin. Where did I get to? Verse 6. Let's read on down through verse 11. 
And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. And then he's going to compare that to Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember what happened there? Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. You see this? In case you doubt what was going on, he makes it pretty clear in the next verse. Giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. You see that? Or set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And that's age-abiding fire, in case you're interested. Likewise, he says in verse 8, Also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. And listen to this. Yet Michael the archangel. Ah, everybody know who Michael is? The one that standeth for Israel, the archangel? And I have to believe that an archangel on the creation scale of God is a little higher up the scale than a, than a normal angel that we see referenced in the scripture. Listen to this. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses durst or did not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. Whoa, wait a minute. Moses was buried by Jehovah. But evidently, Satan desired to have the body of Moses. Why would he want that? You ever wondered about that? How many of you have seen this verse, and as our purpose said when I read it earlier, has this caused a little confusion with you, a little consternation? Have you ever wondered why in the world Satan, what use would he have with the dead body of Moses? Do you think for one minute that Satan couldn't make that body animated and speak through it? That, that would disrupt... Uh, the, the law and the testimony of Moses. Oh, Lord. God said, with my memory, told Moses or uh, Miriam and, and uh, his brother, brother Aaron. Aaron. You remember what God told Aaron and Miriam? If I'm going to speak to a man, I'll do it in a dream or a vision. Not so with my servant Moses. With him, he said, I will speak mouth to mouth. Not in a dream or a vision, but I will tell Moses mouth to mouth what I want him to know. What better mouthpiece for Satan to have than the body of Moses? So Michael the archangel, not a regular angel, and I believe on the creation scale, Michael the archangel is still lower than Satan was on the creation yeah. scale. Because God in... Reveals to us in Ezekiel 20, 28 that Satan was full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Satan was the capstone of all the angelic order that God created. He was basically their leader, their prime minister. I believe he took the will of God to the angels. 
And he took the worship of the angels back and presented it to the Father. God loves order in his creation, always. And his perfect creation, because of its own beauty, decided that he wanted to be the Son of God. I will be like the Most High, he said in Isaiah 14. I will be like the Most High, the five I wills. If you hadn't read them, read them. Isaiah chapter 14. And read Ezekiel 28. So this created capstone of all the angelic, of all the angelic order wanted the body of a dead man to speak through. Why? Because then he could say whatever he wanted to and it'd be the words of Moses. And he could speak against the God that had spoken through Moses before. Satan's business is to taint what God said. It always has been. Remember the first words he uttered in Genesis were, Yea, hath God said. Pretty easy to figure out if you think about it a little bit. He's in it for himself. But in talking to these evil beings, here Jude reminds us that even Michael the archangel he didn't bring a railing accusation against Satan, but he said, The Lord rebuked thee. I know somebody that you can't argue with. You might can argue with me. And evidently Michael ended up taking the body because Jehovah buried him. And the, But the only way I believe Michael could have got by with that is invoking who he invoked. Yeah. He said, The Lord will rebuke you. So Satan backed off. Can you imagine an argument about a body, a dead body of Moses? Well, I think it was kind of like the bush that burned with fire whenever Moses yeah, saw it. But wasn't consumed. That, that wherever he buried him, that's hollowed ground. That is something that God in, in his own mind knew that he would have to make off limits. Off limits to everything, yeah. even to even to the angelic order. That's a pretty good point. Okay, and 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 not only that, but you you got a little thing there in verse eleven that you ain't got to yet, but that tells you the the women that these people crept into was Cain's offspring. Yeah, well, that's amazing, was, isn't it? Was, the women of the Canaan. You see these angelic tidbits that we run into in looking in these other books? It's amazing. The amount of information that's here is absolutely amazing, if you think about it. Yeah. And But it's like little puzzle pieces. You're putting the pieces of the puzzle together as you go along. Yeah. That's why you can't cherry pick a certain subject well, and just and, and dawdle around it. You have to look at all the scripture relative to it. To be able to learn as much as you can about it. Study. Study is to take advantage of what's there. When you see something that looks like it's out of place. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not. it's there a for a reason. There's a reason for that being. That is a good point. So Michael said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And he took the body of Moses. And then Jude goes on. He says, but these... Speak evil of those things which they know not. These the evil ones. He said they speak evil of those things which they know not. 
but what they know naturally as brute beast in those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, he says. They have their judgment coming. Now he's going back to talking about the ones that attacked the believers of that day in 10 and 11. He says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Remember what Cain did? I'll worship my way and I'll worship who I want to worship. The way of Cain. And the word says that God says, You are of your father. The devil. The devil. Remember that? Sure do. Okay, so... If if they're worshiping, I mean, if the devil is leading them, then why would they not choose the the devil's offspring to to go that way to do that way yeah. do that thing? He said they've gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. And we'll stop there at that verse. Well, that- that, that's, a lot, that's a lot of information. Yeah, it shows you the way, the evil way that these that fought against the apostles in the in the Acts period, the yeah. evil way they were going. And if you, I mean, and, and it's not just Peter that talks about it. Paul talks about them in his uh, Acts period epistles. Jude, um, James talks about these. John talks about. I, I mean, it's. These that were evil in the Acts period, they must have been really putting on a show. Yeah. Because they are warned against again and again and again and again by all the the writers that wrote epistles during that Acts period. Yeah, well, that's, that's the situation about pity. When God put enmity between the seeds, He didn't want to do it. But he had to do it in order to bring everything back around to, and to ride it back up again. Amen. And so, uh, you know, piety and pity, there's just one letter between the two in the, in the English language. And so I think God didn't want to do that, but he, uh, it was put into a situation where, in order to well, it brings about his purpose to take it away. He, he's got, he had to do that, and so and he requires the balance that I was talking about. But we're put under some of these things that we that we have to endure, maybe according to our health or whatever, because because of that work that that was done. That that you know. Because he said, if you believe in Christ, you're going to be not easy, right? right. You, you know, you, it's, it's not the easy way. Exactly. Well, I got just a few. Let's turn over to Second Peter. I want to make, bring out one more example here, but I wanted you to see what was in Jude, because I don't believe you can read what Peter said about those angels without getting the rest of the story from Jude. But to sum it up, these angels sinned back in Genesis. They created the giants, which were wiped out by the flood. And then there was another outbreak of them after the flood that were taken care of by the sword of Israel. And whether some of that bloodline is still floating around today or not, I do not know. But these angels that did these things, they are not wandering around. 
they are held in what appears to be what I would uh, what I would consider an icy prison. And uh, I'll throw this out there: I don't know whether that prison is within the frozen deep or whether that prison is under one of our polar ice caps on this planet. I have no idea. I'm just throwing that up for you to think about. Throw me to Second Peter, chapter two, and I want to read verses one through thirteen of chapter two. Um, I want you to note, however, the mention of angels in verses four and eleven as we go through Second Peter two, one through thirteen. Peter says, "But there were false prophets." See, we're still talking about these false prophets and those that come in to taint the message. There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, Peter says, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. So this must be within the, it must be within the confines of the believers. And bring upon themselves what? Swift destruction, he says. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Wow, that sounds kind of familiar for today. If you want to get railed on and spoken about, try to be uh, a Christian person who regards the scripture in high regard. And stands against LGBTQ and all this stuff. Try that today. See if you get railed upon or not. Let me know. <laughs> Verse 3, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. And there's no better place to make merchandise out of somebody, I believe, today than social media. You can agree or disagree. He said, Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. See, this judgment was coming with the coming of the Lord at the time Peter's speaking here, which was in, going to be in A.D. 85. They were some 30 years from that happening. But when Israel, at the end of Acts, rejected Christ as a nation, Paul proclaimed Isaiah 6 on them, and time is unplugged. That dispensation is put on hold. But, and that's why Peter says, whose judgment these evil ones now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. Listen to this, verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, ah, we're going to get a little more information about these angels. He keeps comparing the evil people of those days and what they, and what they're going to get to the angels of Genesis and what they got. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, I'll read it again in the English, and then I'll retranslate it for you closer to the Koine. If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, then he says, let me, let me retranslate that for you. I think it's a closer read for if God spared not the angels when they sinned, but cast or threw them down to Tartarus and committed them to bindings 
of misty blackness to be guarded until judgment. Let me read that again. For if God spared not angels when they sinned, but cast or threw them down to Tartarus. And that's the only time that the word Tartarus, uh, which is rendered hell in the English, it's the only time that the, the Greek form Tartarus is used. It means the underworld in the scripture. He cast or threw them down to Tartarus and committed them to bindings of misty blackness to be guarded until judgment. That's what that verse really says. Verse 5, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the cosmos, the world of the ungodly. The entire world was ungodly. See, it's the same comparison he made in First Peter. You see that in verse 6, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with a catastrophe, an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. But boy, that didn't do much good, did it? You mean Sodom and Gomorrah was supposed to be an example? <laughs> I guess the world here today has kind of forgotten about that. Oh, they blow it off. Well, and delivered just, I'm sorry. I think, it, I think it cropped back up a few years ago when people started dying with AIDS. Yeah, maybe so. I think it come I've back, often wondered. I think it come back out of the dust. <laughs> I've often wondered about that. It says in verse 7, And delivered just light, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked or the walk of the wicked, and then 8 is a parenthetical insertion that describes Lot and what was going on a little bit. He says, For that righteous man, talking about Lot, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot was literally living in a cesspool of homosexuality in that day. And it said it vexed him, vexed his righteous soul. Being exposed to that on a constant basis. Well, you know, you can get exposed and and exposure in man, dealing with man, is generally two ways. It can either be blood and breath, generally. But if you live in the filth, you, you know, the filth. Well, What's a lot like it is? It's a lot like it is today. You turn on the TV, it's there. You go to Disney World, it's really there. You uh, just go to the store, and you see these couples walking around. Yeah. I mean, it's it's everywhere. It's yeah. it's all over the place, and it it kind of vexes my soul a little bit. You just you you you're you have concern about them. Like, what is it that drives them to this? And I got my theories about that too. Verse 9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. You see, this day of this great day of judgment keeps coming up. He says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities or of glories. 
And I believe the glories of that time was probably the apostles and disciples. They're not, they're not afraid to speak evil of that which is good. And that, that's exactly like it is today. Everything that's right is wrong and everything that was wrong is right. They've flipped it and changed the definition of words. It, it's amazing. I see so many, the, the, when I was reading this this morning in preparation, the parallels kind of crushed me a little bit with the world that we live in today. It just crushes me. And then in verse 11, here's our, here's our other usage of the word angel in Second Peter. He says, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, Bring not railing accusation against them, the glories before the Lord. Even angels wouldn't do what these evil ones do, Peter says. And they're greater in, uh, greater in power and might. And they wouldn't do it. They're greater than the humans. Remember, humans are made, or were on the creation scale, humans are a little lower than the angels. Yeah. As Paul says in, Second Peter, I mean in Hebrews chapter 1. Peter goes on, he says, But these as natural brute beasts, he just calls these people what they are, made to be taken and destroyed. He says, They speak evil of the things that they understand not. It's a lot of the same statements that he made in First Peter. You see that? Almost dead parallel. Yeah. They speak evil of the things that they don't understand and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. You need to, need sometimes, the, all of us do, I think, needs to look at that word corruption, uh, and, and, and get a good concordance or something to go with it to see just exactly what, what it means. That, that thing means because it, corruption, uh, can come to the natural body, whether you're a believer or whether you're not. Yeah. You know, if you, if you're subjected to fire, you're gonna die. Mm-hmm. You know, if your breath's taken away. Uh, all these things of corruption is what we're looking at today. We, we're, you can turn on the TV right now and they'll tell you in a few minutes, well, if you've been in Camp Lejeune from 1950 to 1987, you may be dying of some corruption. From the toxicity of the water. Yeah. yeah. That, that was 75 years ago, maybe. Yeah. And, and, and corruption. And God didn't make corruption. Man created the corruption because... Of our sin. Basically, of disbelief or, or, or sin. It's a result of... Uh, so corruption is... Corruption is a word that we just glance over and yeah. never really get to understand exactly what corruption no, is. No, I would agree. I would totally agree. And then he says in 13, and I'm done. I'm, I know I'm a little over time. Let's read 12 and 13. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime. Peter says, spots they are and blemishes. 
Remember, the the lamb had to be without spot and without blemish. These people are literally the spots, Peter says. They are the blemish. Spots they are and blemishes, supporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Oh, so these are those that are within the very ranks of so-called believers, but not true believers, Peter says. The Evidently, the ones Peter is warning them to watch against were not the ones from without the flock. They were the ones within the flock. Remember that. And we're done. Thank you for your attention this morning. I didn't think I'd get through this one uh, completely and and get it all in, but um, evidently we did. Uh, Don't take what I say as God's gospel truth. You go back and and you read it and study it and understand it for yourself and study to show yourself as approved unto God as workmen that need not be ashamed, but remember to rightly divide that word of truth. God bless you. And um, amen, throne life, amen. Bow with us and we'll close. Father, again, we do thank you for this time that we've had. We thank you for these that have come this way to hear this morning. Father, we pray that the words they heard can be applied to their hearts and their minds and that they too would study to show themselves as approved unto God and and be the good Bereans and not, not take my word but search the scriptures to see if these things be so. Father, we thank you for the blessings that we've received this past week. Father, we ask that you would continue to bless the ladies' study in Arizona. We thank you for bringing D back to us whole. And we thank you for all the other blessings that we've enjoyed this past week. Father, continue to be with us according to your will and purpose. And lead God and bless us in all that we endeavor to do in your name in upholding that word of truth. First in Christ's name today we do so humbly pray.